welcome, 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 welcome to the Puma Prenza podcast, The Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in to our inaugural episode. If you like what you hear today, or if you really don't like it, please write a quick letter to the editor and send it to thepumaprenza at gmail.com. We're always looking for feedback. If you have any story tips, ideas, or comments on how we do our business, or if you want to see any and all of our content, please visit thepumaprenza.org, our new website. We just did a full refresh and switched platforms, so it looks pretty rad right about now. We have a big staff as well, and not everything makes it into the paper, so there's some real gems hiding out there if you look for them. Speaking of the paper, those are out in your advos now. If they're not there, please stop by Mr. Hart's room in N2 if you're looking for a copy. If you're not a Carrillo student, you can go online or inquire about a subscription. Uh, disclaimer, around the middle half of the episode, you hear me say Officer Cregan, uh, but his official title is Chief as he's the Chief of Police for the Santa Rosa Police Department. And with that out of the way, I would like to introduce our guest, Santa Rosa District 4 Board Trustee and Vice President of the Board, Mr. Omar Medina. Within Santa Rosa, these past few weeks have been incredibly hectic, to say the least. Uh, Jaden Piento was stabbed and killed on campus at Montgomery during an altercation. Daniel Jesus Polito is now in custody awaiting trial. Maria Carrillo, we had three fire-related evacuations, a pseudo-lockdown, a shelter-in-place, a real lockdown, and a walkout. And amidst all of this, there's been more calls for adults on campus, including campus supervisors, mental health resources, restorative justice specialists, and for many in the community, the return of school resource police officers. On the backdrop of Black Lives Matter protests during 2020, our school board voted unanimously to suspend the program, but this vote and resolution was proposed by Omar Medina. Now during board meetings, public comments, Instagram comments sections, quotes in the media, and amongst many voices in the community, the name that comes up most frequently in relation to school safety, in relation to the death of Jaden, and to the SRO program is Omar Medina. We get into all of that just a little ways into the episode, but we start with some important information about his life and how he came to be involved in the board. So now, without further ado, Mr. Omar Medina. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Glad to be here. All righty. So for those who might be a little unfamiliar or, you know, just for anybody out there listening, tell us how you came to be involved with the school board. Oh, that's that's actually a very uh, long journey. Um, you know, I started off as a student in Santa Rosa City Schools. I went to Cook and then L.C. Allen. I was really active in student government then. And since then, I, I stayed really engaged with um, educational issues, student activism. I went to the J.C. I was at Sonoma State. And while I was at Sonoma State in 2004, um, I actually ran for school board for the first time. Um, I lost. I think I came in fifth. Um, about 10 years later, uh, 2014, I ran for school board again. Um, you know, there was a lot going on there. That was from time when Andy Lopez was shot, and uh, I lost in that election as well. I decided to run again in 2018, and that was the first year that there was district elections that allowed for representation from the different areas of Santa Rosa, and it was that year that I first uh, won um, an election and came to serve on the board. But prior to that, I had been working on a lot of issues with uh, Santa Rosa City Schools uh, through North Bay Organizing Project. I served as the chair of the Education Task Force, working on ending zero tolerance, um, but then transitioned towards pushing for ethnic studies in our schools. Um, so that all had kind of been happening uh, prior to me serving. And from 2018 to now, I've okay. been serving on the board. So you said you lost your first two elections. What made you keep going? Uh, well, for me, it's, it's actually been a, 
a lot of things. It's been the importance of having a, a different voice represented. And so it's a collective of a lot of people out in the community that have seen the need for more diverse representation um, on the school board. And I knew that I had the skills of understanding um, how government works. I had been actively involved in our schools. And, and I think there needed to be someone that did it. And so I wanted to be able to break that barrier and also kind of inspire others to run in the future. And, and I remained active in the community, and I realized how important it was to serve and to represent. And what, you mentioned breaking that barrier and serving uh, your district. What does that mean to you? Oh, to me, it's, it's really important. It's, it's a matter of having, simply having a seat at the table and having the ability to express an alternative perspective that, to me, didn't exist before. Um, so that's very important. But simultaneously, it's, it's about um, having people and students see, like, another person of color um, on the board, because before that didn't exist for so long. I, I believe I'm the first Latino male that's ever served on on the board. Okay. The past uh, couple of weeks here um, in Santa Rosa City Schools, I know it's been a lot as a Carrillo student. I know it's been just as hectic for anybody else out here. What has um, your reaction and your response been to just the recent events with all of these emergencies and um, now obviously a a dead student uh, from Montgomery. What's what's your response and reaction been like? I mean, my, my immediate reaction was one of intense sadness um, and also anger. Um, anger at the fact that things escalated to the point where something like this happened. Um, and then since then, um, I've really been focusing on really listening and, and hearing what what folks are saying, um, especially students, and I think as a as a board member, it's important to understand that we're really distant from like the day to day on the ground things. Um, you know, our our sole employee is the superintendent, and everything feeds up to us through through there. So to really engage in the listening of the the voices of of the students uh, at at this larger level has been really important to hear how some of the things that are happening in schools are impacting students directly. Um, and, and I think having that direct input for me has been um, a little more eye-opening, um, and, and that coupled with the incidents that, that have occurred um, have created a greater sense of urgency. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that, that has been important, and you know, in these past few weeks I've been kind of like all over the place. Last week I was at... Um, L.C. Allen at Montgomery, and Friday I spent the whole day at Santa Rosa High School just going from class to class, spending time there, and just seeing some of the other issues that I think are, are happening, that I, that I see kind of post-pandemic related. Um, I think students coming back from the pandemic and really engaging, I think, um, seem to be struggling a lot, not only with mental issues, but um, I see a lot of students just basically tuning out, um, not doing their work, not turning in assignments. There's a lot of absenteeism. And so I think when all that's happening, it, it's creating greater issues um, that are also leading to some of the violence and other things that we're, we're experiencing in our schools. Right. I mean, I can confirm. I've seen that firsthand 
uh, like friends and people I've known who just sort of after the pandemic, it's been like this like dramatic and very noticeable shift in their personality, their attendance, like anything relating to school. The shift has just been it, it's kind of jarring. Um, so what is um, the board's goal and like your personal goal, like moving forward? What what do the next couple of weeks look like for you? I think, uh, personally, I can't speak as an individual for the board as a collective. Um, the spokesperson for the board is our, our president. But as an individual board member, um, my immediate um, urgency is really um, based on a couple of things that I've heard, is increasing the adult supervision on, on campus because that's something that a lot of students are, are, have mentioned, and, and definitely there's a need for that. Um, I'm really focused on getting more restorative justice specialists because that's been a specific ask that I've heard. Um, and, and talking to some of the restorative justice specialists at the campuses that I've visited to, um, they've mentioned that, yeah, they need, they need more help to, to meet the needs of the students, especially um, right now in, in the type of situation that we're, we're dealing with with, with the post-pandemic um, issues. Um, I, I think the... The big issue is is the money. Right. Um, where do we find the funding to make these things happen? And I think to that, you know, we uh, we got to see um, what the superintendent and and her admin team um, are able to find for us and bring to the table. And at the same time, I think we need a lot of help from uh, other government agencies, whether it be the county, the city, the state. Uh, nonprofits. It's it's a collective effort to address a lot of the needs that our students have. Okay. There's been um, on the subject of the money. There's been a lot of talk uh, recently. Came up in a couple of student speeches. Came up at the board meeting a couple of times. The COVID money, uh, the sixty million or however much from the state and all the various levels of uh, like supervising government uh, that our district has and the spending plan for it. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a clarifying question. Can that money be put towards some of the things that students are asking for? So the specific answer to that, I don't know, but that is definitely something that I want us to look at. I mean, it, I, I feel that these a lot of what we're facing is directly related to post-COVID. So to me, it would make sense that we're able to, to, to look at that money. Um, I think what we have to look at is how was that money already planned to be spent? And so... Assuming that we use that money to address some of the issues on a more immediate basis, then we also got to look at, okay, what did we take away from that we're going to have to find additional money for in the future? So I, I, I think it might be able to be used, but, but I don't know. I don't want to say yes when I, when I really don't know specifically at this very moment. Then take me to the, the most recent uh, public board meeting where uh, we had the group of students outside, a lot of SRTA teachers. Uh, I was there. I spoke. Uh, I know a lot of my friends and classmates uh, from here and across the district spoke. What were you feeling in that moment uh, during that whole public comment portion? And then follow, adding on to that, um, what made you want to, uh, You, I believe you raised a point of personal privilege to hear the rest of the public comments that were out there. Uh, what made you do that? Well, I, I think I've been on the other side. I've been on the side of speaking to the board. And I, I think I, I recognized um, 
the amount of time and effort that students and teachers and everybody put into simply arriving there and being present in that moment and and wanting to speak and I think cutting everyone off and not allowing them to have their voice heard um, was was just not right. right. That coupled with the fact that I wanted to hear what everybody said and I and uh, you know I, I think the rest of the board did and I think that was clear when nobody really objected to hearing. Of course it generally makes our meetings longer but but you know we're public servants and I think listening to what everybody had to say was critically important. I know um, your name it seems comes up a lot more uh, than anybody else's not necessarily um, at school in the wider in the wider public level um, with adults parents etc it seems to be your name coming up I know at school it seems to be the superintendent more often than not um, but what is your what, what's the feeling been as you hear your name sort of constantly uh, coming up anytime these sorts of issues are being talked about? What's that been like? Um, you know, sometimes it, it feels, uh, I think it feels like a, a little bit like I'm being bullied. But, but at the same time, I'm understanding that, you know, people are upset, people are angry, people are hurt, and people see me as, as uh, the person that, led the movement to remove uh, SROs from campus. And so I think because of that, people are targeting me and blaming um, this incident on me. You know, people say I have blood on my hands and things of that nature. Um, but but I know the, the reality is that, you know, I'm just one person of seven on the board. We're currently six now. Um, and, and this is a collective effort. Um, I was very passionate about the issue, and I uh, did present a resolution to to end that partnership, and and the program was paused, and and so I can't argue with facts along that level, but I, I'm I chose to be in this political you know uh, environment, so with that comes the people criticizing what you do, and you know I'll I'll accept it. I don't like it. I I feel that. We really got to focus on the, the the now and where we're at and how do we move forward and how do we make changes that are really going to um, have a positive impact on our students. Because as I said at the board meeting, I serve out of love for our community and love for our students. And the the vision of mine is to see all our students succeed, hopefully graduate and and move on to having a better life. And, and keeping students out of that school-to-prison pipeline it has been something that's been critically important for me. And so I, I will continue to do that as long as folks allow me to do that. Take me back uh, to that meeting where that uh, resolution was proposed and voted on. Um, how did that come up for you, and how did the board come to an agreement in that moment? What was that process like? What were, the, what were some of the conversations that were being had? Well, I think... Uh, well, just going back, uh, you know, it started in, for me, October 2019 is when we had a first presentation. It was a combined meeting with the city of Santa Rosa and the school board. Um, I wasn't present at that meeting, but I watched the video, um, kind of getting an understanding of what the role of uh, the SROs was on the campus. Um, for me, already even prior to serving, 
I already had kind of my sentiment as to my experience from being a student um, of how I, I, I felt about um, police on campuses and, and I, I wasn't supportive based on my experience. Um, but it was, I think, a, a lot of people point out that it's in the wake of the George Floyd incident. Um, and so we, we as a board, were, we were getting emails and stuff about removing SROs from campus. And, and I asked the superintendent to um, put forward an action to um, end the partnership with the city of Santa Rosa. At that time, there was no contract. Uh, the contract had ended in, in June of 2019. And uh, so there was no contract to renew, no, no contract to be voted on. And at the same time, there was no students in our schools. This was after COVID had started. Um, as far as we weren't present on our campus. So what the board decided, you know, my, my, my action didn't get approved. What we approved was to create an ad hoc, um, because that's ultimately what came to the board. It was kind of like a negotiation, to create an ad hoc committee that would investigate the issue. Um, and, and it was at that June 24th meeting where the vote was to pause the, the program and create that ad hoc committee to, to look into the issue of SROs. Okay. And I believe, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the committee came back and recommended to keep them in place, correct? So the committee, I think collectively the committee recommended that they, they still wanted the SROs, but that there needed to be some changes to the program. And, and so they met, I think it was eight times between July and August. Um, there, there was a couple extensions um, for them to continue meeting. And ultimately, the, the last board discussion happened in, uh, in November of 2020. And then uh, December, I think it was December 14th, 2020, when the board um, took an action to put together this letter to the city of Santa Rosa, to the city manager, to address some of the issues that existed with SROs before continuing with any further MOU. Um, and that's kind of where it ended. What were uh, some of those proposed alterations to the program, and uh, what were your thoughts uh, about those proposed uh, changes? Um, I, well, I think the, the, the proposed thoughts w weren't specific in terms of what they needed to change. It was about having a conversation, you know, about healing and safety. And, and I don't remember the very specific issues that were part of that letter um, to, to go into them, but it was about, you know, some, some of it included, like, how do we tackle data, like in terms of accountability, um, those those types of issues. Um, but the letter could be found, you know, in the board minutes of that December 14th, 2020 meeting. Um, for me, um, it made sense. Um, I'm, I'm never imposed to dialogue and conversation. It wasn't specifically, you know, the complete ending of the program as as I initially started, but, but it made sense to evaluate the program and see how it could improve if it could be improved. So uh, right now I'm going to play you a student clip, and I know we're going to have some quotes from various interviews the Prenza has been doing uh, coming through right now. I believe this one is about to be about SROs. Um, okay. So let me play this one for you. I think one of the main reasons we feel unsafe is that because we never really know what's going on on campus. And if we have adults that their job is to see what's going on on campus and report it if they see something wrong, that could be a game changer for keeping students on safe on campus and just having students feel safe. If there's an adult in the presence of a bunch of stupid kids, those stupid kids are less likely to do stupid things that could put other people in danger. 
Uh, so that's, I believe, a quote uh, regarding other adults on campus. Um, I'm going to play a clip from that same interview, I believe, talking directly about police. Um, no. In the past, like, couple weeks with the, like, uh, shooting threat and the, the fire and the false pulling of the fire alarm, it's become clear to me that in the event of an emergency, our school really does not know how to handle an emergency. And it makes me scared that in an event which is might may be likely to happen as shown by you know at monty a kid got killed basically um that that's a reality that could happen on our campus and from how our school has responded to the threats and the false alarms it's become clear that we wouldn't know we wouldn't know how to handle that situation so i am honestly scared that if an emergency were to happen a lot of students could be at risk to lose their lives So, uh, very quickly, what would your reactions? Uh, what's your reaction to the, hearing those clips? Well, I think to the to the first clip around uh, adults, um, it, it goes back to the issue of adult supervision, having more adults on campus. That and and, uh, and bo- both of those clips tie to communication as well. I think uh, clear to me the, that there's that need for more adult supervision. Um, but but one of the things that clearly came up um, in some of the listening sessions, especially hearing from students uh, here at Maria Carrillo, um, the effectiveness of communication during a lot of these drills um, seems like um, there's a lot of chaos. People don't know what's going on. And also going to some of the stuff that I've heard from uh, Montgomery, um, the and also a lot from parents, the, the need to really understand what the various messages that are, they're receiving um, are are about. What kind of a threat is it? So improving our communication systems when it comes to some of these threats, some of these lockdowns, I think this is important. Um, from what I've heard here at Maria Carrillo, um, the effectiveness of the drills, where students go, maybe additional training for teachers. I think that those are some clear concerns that have been expressed. So I think for for me, it's to to see how how the superintendent is looking at better assessing these programs and um, and improving them um, based on what has happened. And so I think that might mean you know doing more drills. And and if we go back to the partnership with um, uh, police, you know that's part of the partnership that we have and should have. Um, is training on these, whether it be active shooter drills or someone with a knife on campus, or these lockdowns. Um, th- th- those are trainings that should exist and I believe have existed. Um, but communication, I think, has been really highlighted on various levels, and I'm hoping that you know in, in the immediate weeks to come, that's one of the big things that we look at um, as a board, and, and, and that admin really looks at that and improves that. Right, because... Um... Just from some admin here, uh, we have a quote saying that they want to have that conversation uh, again. um, Off screen, we had a quote we obtained that says, uh, quote, with an on-campus officer, police would be able to identify the situation and respond accordingly. Um, And what what I've heard from students, um, it ranges from absolutely not, no, we do not want this back here at all, 
like vehemently against it up to yes bring them back now and the sort of uh the largest swath of students seems to be encompassed by let's have this conversation and um one of the main proposals i've heard going out actually is to have a board that selects the officers and to have students uh, have a large presence on that board to sort of interview and vet them. Uh, uh, do you have anything, any thoughts on any of those proposals or any of those uh, things that have been coming up? You know, I think there, there's definitely a, a lot of things to look at. Um, there's looking at like the possibilities of what could happen. You know, we 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 had a program where there was one officer, you know, that served two schools, right? I I think the the reality of like whether simply having an officer um, on campus would know what's going to happen and automatically be able to stop it. I think that's something that should really be analyzed and looked at in a realistic manner. I think uh, there was a student from Maria from Montgomery that that. I think worded it perfectly where the idea of an officer on campus is, provides an elucidatory sense of safety and security. Um, I think that um, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. Um, you know, I think the, the culture around law enforcement, I think there needs to be civilian oversight of law enforcement, and I think there needs to be a lot of other issues addressed before we go into um, putting stu uh, officers on campus. And, and to me, oftentimes the voices that you don't hear are those that are most impacted. And, and one of the things that me personally, I, I am trying to avoid is that sense of making schools feel like a prison. That, you know, it, for me as a student of color, just interactions with law enforcement have, have been an issue. You know, we get this anxiety and I want schools to be able to be a place where you come and you're here to learn and that's the type of feeling that you have. Of course right now there's a lot of stuff going on where students are feeling unsafe and unsecure and so there's things that we need to do to make that environment be a better learning environment but I think part of the solution is really just more adults on campus um, to be able to provide that security. And, and I think it's also a more efficient use of funding. You know, I think for the price of one police officer, you could get like four restorative specialists. Okay. I'm going to then play uh, one more student clip about SROs, and I'm going to have an uh, interview quote coming up for you. Uh, but as far as the, uh, the point about not wanting schools to uh, feel like a prison, that's something I've heard uh, particularly from students at Montgomery, uh, but also from students here. Uh, I have a quote that I'm going to bring up later. Uh, someone talked about metal detectors uh, specifically, and there's been talk about chain link fences and like all of these sorts of uh, security measures. And the temperature check I've gotten from students on that seems to be uh, relatively negative. You know, they're concerned about having to walk through a metal detector or go to school somewhere where they're surrounded by tall fences and feel like they're like trapped. Um, so. I'm going to play this uh, clip right now about SROs from uh, Prenza staff writer Cohen Ferrari and uh, Maria Carrillo Sr. Bellazerati. For a lot of students to see police officers on campus, so that might not be a viable solution, but if they were brought back without 
um, having visible or any weapons at all, I think that might be an option if it really came down to it. So again, uh, to repeat her quote, she says that it would be an option for her personally um, if they came back um, without weapons um, with some of those other procedures, if it came down to it. Uh, so what's, what is your reaction to that? I think that, you know, what, what, one thing that's been said about me, and this is actually from the Police Officers Association, they put a post where they said that I absolutely hate police. And that's completely untrue. I think as a school district, we need to have a very good partnership with police. And that includes training and communication. And I, I think patrolling around our schools more effectively and being nearby, I think is essential. Um, personally, having them on our campus with our students, not only do I worry about the, the that um, sense of it being more like prison, but also worry about their interactions with students, more students being um, put into the criminal law system versus just regular, um, you know, academic or, or, or school um, justice systems. In terms of of them being on, like, in a non-uniformed way, I definitely agree that the uniformed way is more intimidating and it does add more anxiety. Um, you know, whatever the board would go with collectively, I think if the board collectively decided to bring us heroes back, um, which wouldn't just be something that's up to the board, it's also involved, like, we used to pay for them. Um, but if if if, it was, if they were coming back, of course, I'd prefer them to not have guns and to be non-uniform. So uh, to confirm then, if they were to come back, you would still want a lot of the uh, sort of day-to-day issues that are currently being handled by admin to continue to be handled by them, right? Oh, yeah. I think I think law enforcement should be avoided, um, you know, for students as much as possible. I think once you start putting students in that criminal justice system, um, it, it's very dangerous in terms of the long-term trajectory of their lives and, and the impact that it could have. Um, so, so, yeah, I think we, we need to find more effective ways to address the issues that students are facing. And I think a lot of the ways are, exist, but we just need more people doing that work. And in order to have more people doing that work, we, we need to find the money for it. And, and that's the problem. Not only have we, do we have a funding issue, but right now we have like uh, uh, a staffing issue in general, simply with teachers, right? It's being hard to recruit enough teachers um, to this area because there's a lot of issues that our community's facing, you know, high cost of living, inflation, um, everything here locally. It's, it's becoming more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so once, if we find the funding, then finding these adults that do these jobs is, is going to be something, the next part of the challenge. Um, but we got to start somewhere. But I think right now w- that there's a sense of urgency to making sure things are happening. And, and I think I'd also add that a lot of what we're seeing isn't isolated to Santa Rosa City schools, you know, especially with the post-COVID um, issues that are being faced. You know, it's it's throughout the country, um, you know, and, and issues with violence and such. You know, we're seeing it in other districts locally. Um, I think collectively everyone is really 
challenge right now in the moment to to address a lot of these issues and and so assessing them has has taken time um but but we're seeing some of the drastic problems right now and we just need to try to act as fast as possible okay as far as the uh, the money and the salaries um i personally know here at Carrillo, uh we had a supervisor basically hired um like onboarded prepped had gone through all of the steps and then he found out the like official like his what he would be making and he had to turn down the position because it's 16 an hour here and he needed at least uh 21 dollars an hour and then i have uh i know uh some a member of my family who's very involved on campus said and he has you know he's a day job working in like restaurant management stuff he said i would do it for 20 an hour with the promise like a teacher of raises in the future um and so it's really as a student it's frustrating to watch um you know i brought this point up a couple of times like i I have i have two part-time jobs and the people who are not only responsible for my safety uh, but for the safety of 1600 other kids are getting paid less than i would be there they're not getting you know they're ready to do it um at least these two uh gentlemen uh they're ready to do it they love to do it uh they love students that's you know they talk they just love talking uh and they want to be all in on the school but they just they can't do it because the money is not there and as a student that's just it's heartbreaking yeah i i did see that on our on our job hiring page i did look up campus supervisor and saw that there is a position available here at Maria Carrillo. Um, and, yeah, I looked at the salary ranges. I saw that campus supervisors begin at seventeen forty an hour, which is barely above the center's minimum wage, which is seventeen oh six. And so I think that's definitely an issue. Um, this hasn't come up, but, but one of the, the things that I'd like to propose um, that we do is that we kind of merge the campus supervision job along with the restorative justice specialist jobs and and, and basically involve that as part of the, that that job and and are able to elevate the pay for folks. Um, but you know that's something that I hope comes up and we'll see how how it happens. But but even even then, I, personally, I I don't think even they get paid enough. And I think they start at like twenty four or something an hour. Um, so. The, the solutions, I think, will be presented to us from admin staff. You know, we, we get to maybe get, give our suggestions to to the superintendent, but, but something like that also has to be negotiated with, you know, the classified employee union, and so all that kind of could take time. But, but I definitely see the need um, to pay folks more. And again, when we go to paying folks more, it's a matter of finding the money. Okay. Um. I just have a quick uh, couple things about on the metal detectors specifically. I have a friend, uh, Will Mosher, who's involved in all of the walkout stuff. There's probably a couple of pictures of him uh, in this issue of the Prenza, which if you're a Carrillo student, you should absolutely read. It's in your Advo class, and it's also in Mr. Hart's room, N3, so please uh, stop by or visit our website, thepoonprenza.org. Uh, but he said, if I have to walk through a metal detector or if I see those middle schoolers going into high school having to walk through a metal detector, it's going to be crushing. And I know I have a sister in middle school, uh, and if I come back and I see her having to walk through a metal detector uh, into high school, I'm just going to, I'll be heartbroken. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what I'd do at that point. That would, 
that would be absolutely crushing. I remember at the time when, when, when I was in high school, long, long ago, just fences around the schools was like, oh, why, why do we have to have these fences, right? Um, and, and, you know, even now I hear students complain about, like, why can't we go off campus to go get food or whatever? Um, metal detectors is something I am absolutely opposed to. Um, not only do I think they would ultimately not work, given the design of our schools, I mean, if somebody really wanted to bring something into campus, there's so many ways they could bring it, throw it over the fence somewhere else, and, and it would happen, right? Yeah. Um, aside from that, they would be incredibly expensive, given the design of our schools, to put metal detectors and all the entrances in every which way that someone could get into our school. Um, it's unrealistic, I think, from a financial perspective, and also I don't think it would work. And it also adds to that, you know, prison environment. And to me, it, it, it's that treatment of students as criminals. And, and, you know, coming from that perspective as, as one who was a student of color, that, you know, when you start feeling that that's what you're being looked at as a criminal, you know, why, why are these cameras watching me? Why am I caged in? Why is there a cop here? Why am I going through a metal detector? What is the message that that's sending me? I think those are some of the things that we got to, like, continue to look at. What, what are the messages we're sending our students through some of these actions we take? And, and it comes from my experience of a student and, and seeing how not only I have been treated in the past, but others like me. And, and, I, and, and I think, you know, I, I say it in, in the context of others like me and people say, oh, you're being racist or this or that. And, but, but it's a reality and we can't like shy away from those conversations. Right. I know uh, per, specifically at Carrillo, there's a back gate um, towards uh, our service road that a lot of students come in through, uh, especially if they're running late. And uh, my poor AP literature teacher has to take time out of the class to go over there and lock it up on her own uh, because we don't have the people to do it. And so that entrance would need a metal detector. There's our where our bus stops off um, towards our theater building. That would need a metal detector. There's a big entrance on the other side of the theater building and the performing arts rooms. That would need a metal detector. And then there's a main front entrance next to our administration building where you were sitting earlier. That would also need a metal detector. Um, and that's not even all the ways in. It's just a we have very open, uh, openly designed campuses here, which I think is beautiful. But but aside from needing metal detectors, they would need someone to staff the metal detector, mm-hmm. and which is more adults on campus, right? Right, and and it gets expensive in many ways. But it's also again that psychological treatment of your criminals. So we need to we, we don't trust that that you're not coming in here right. with a weapon. And whether it's you know just a few students might be doing that. Everybody's being impacted by that treatment. Right. I went to, uh, we, uh, me and Sophia, the little assistant here, um, we went to, to drop off newspapers to a couple of the other campuses. It's the same story, same amount of entrances and exits, same same kind of need, same logistical challenges that they would have to face uh, in implementing that. Yeah, um, and, and again, I emphasize, you know, these are my personal views. Uh, you know, I, I'm not speaking for anyone on the board, but but this is is the reality of what I see and 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 how I feel about these types of things. I, I really want our students to go to school and be able to learn and not feel like like they're being treated like criminals. I uh, have one final question uh, before we, or two final questions before we wrap up. I guess. Um, at Carrillo, uh, the biggest complaint so far seems to be uh, 
the response and the communication. Do you have any thoughts on what the response protocol uh, from like site level administration or the district and the board should be to these incidents? Uh, For example, at Maria Carrillo recently, uh, there was a bullet found in one of our locker rooms. um, And then we got the email uh, from Miss Luke, our lovely principal, um, that was uh, briefing the students and the families here about uh, what happened. And in the email, uh, she said they didn't find uh, any other uh, contraband. Uh, and there's there's a couple other things that she says. I'm going to try to pull it up right now. Um, but basically, um, here it is. Today, administrators received information from two students who reported seeing a bullet in a boys' bathroom on campus. An investigation began, including interviews with multiple students. Administrators contacted the Santa Rosa Police Department, and officers arrived on site with the K-9 unit to do a search of the campus. The K-9 is trained to sniff out firearms that may be hidden. Uh, we had that a couple of weeks ago as well with the uh, gun found off campus. Uh, no additional contraband was found during the search. We appreciate the continued response we have received from SRPD. That is, that's the last thing uh, that it says, and uh, within that, it doesn't directly confirm the bullet's uh, presence. It just says they didn't find anything else. Um, so from that, I infer that there was uh, something, but it's not direct. Um, I guess, do you have any insight on what they are able to say and not say, and do you have uh, anything that you think should be included in, like, administrative training basically for how to respond uh to these sorts of issues because they they seem to be becoming more and more common uh and you know they're not going to go away as much as we might want them to i i don't want to pretend to know answers to that but i think we definitely need to um assess how those responses have been happening and couple that with the requests that we're hearing from Families, like when when there is people alerted to something on campus, what does that mean? What impact does that have on folks? Um, you know, because immediately, um, oftentimes people just assume the worst, right? And so the levels of communication, like how much we're we're able to share, and I think that's oftentimes going to be situational. But I think so that we could ensure that people know um, what's happening. Uh, maybe what's being done, um, and and how um, how the the level of risk of whatever incident is. I think those those things are important. I think that that's going to take a lot of like uh, training, um, but also assessment uh, and looking into all the different possible situations that could occur. Um, so I think for that, I think there there's experts that are you know above my pay level, right, that probably have more information and, and could give us better better advice as to how we could do a better job tr- uh, of dealing with these situations. But the fact that we need to do better, I think that is clear uh, because all these situations have a huge impact on, on everybody that's receiving the message, and um, especially now, more so than before. Then uh, before we let you go here, um, is there anything that you have left that you might want to say to students out there in the district? Uh, anything you want to say to staff, uh, families, and uh, parents? Anything, any parting shots that you might have for them? I, I think 
to everyone, I would say that um, I'm definitely listening. I'm confident that the rest of my board members are listening and that we're working to, to do better. Um, I think keep being active, keep ensuring that your voices are heard. And um, I think the other thing is I, I'd ask everybody to also, um, because there's a lot of students and folks out there that are dealing with a lot of issues, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help and find out where there is help and, 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 and get that help. Or if you have friends or family that need it, do the same because I feel that there's a lot of uh, of things that are happening happening right now and, and people just need to um, get the help that they need and there's a lot of resources out there. Um, it sounds like one of the things we also need to improve on is making sure people know what what help is out there, especially on our campuses. But um, if, if you're dealing with stuff or you know someone that's dealing with stuff, make sure that they ask for help or that you ask for help. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. And that was our show. Thank you again for lending us your ear for our very first episode. Again, any feedback you may have, please send it to thepumaprenza at gmail.com. Uh, take a look at our website, thepumaprenza.org. Your host is me, Rosemary Cromwell. Our producer is Sophia Hughes. Thank you to Christian Bond for editing this episode and helping us out. Thank you to our teacher, James Hart, for all of his support. Thank you to Josie Eubank and Cohen Ferrari from our wonderful staff for gathering us audio clips to be used on the show. Thank you to Gemma Ahern and Bella Zarati for being interviewed. Thank you to the entire Prenza staff and editorial board for their support and help with the episode. Thank you to Mr. Omar Medina for joining us today. And thank you for listening. We hope to see you back here soon.